Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, July 29th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what we're covering today. What it takes to put up a monument. Plus, U.S. women win gold at the Olympics. But first, today's one big thing. What this summer means for the climate crisis. From Portland to New Orleans, heat watches, warnings, and advisories are in effect across 19 states. It's just the latest in this summer of extreme weather, not just the heat, but also wildfires and floods across the world. How are climate scientists thinking about this summer? And how should we be thinking about all of this? I thought the perfect person to answer both of those questions is Axios' Andrew Friedman. Hey, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Andrew, when we look at what has happened already this summer, do climate scientists think that we are much worse off than they thought at the beginning of the summer? Scientists are questioning whether or not they have gotten key details wrong based on what we are seeing this summer. Because the Pacific Northwest heat wave was so far out of the ordinary that it really shocked a lot of scientists. You know, scientists are really deeply searching for answers as to the pace at which extreme events are intensifying, the extent to which they're doing that, and really, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for how we get through each summer and winter and, you know, how we prepare for what's in store in the very near future? So this week I was reading a story that was referencing this 1972 MIT study that basically predicted the complete collapse of our civilization in 2040 if we don't do anything. And they updated it to say we're kind of still on track for that if we don't do anything. This is so grim. And I wonder how you think about what's happening now and put it in context to where we're headed. I don't want... So much of our climate coverage, the climate coverage that I do and the climate coverage that the broader journalism community does, to be immobilizing, to be uh, scaring people into a corner of the room where they just sort of cower and think about the end of the world. Because there's also tremendous opportunities in front of us to do things differently. You know, the likeliest scenario to me is that we get started when we get started on, you know, meaningful carbon emissions reductions. We could choose to start in 10 years. It means more consequences, but we still can choose to start at that point. We have already started, right? Yes and no. Carbon emissions are still going up. 
carbon concentrations in the atmosphere are still going up. So there are countries that are reducing emissions and countries are being more ambitious. But it's going to be a real big slog at the Glasgow Climate Summit in November when countries meet to really hash some of this, the, the more ambitious climate plans out. Andrew Friedman covers climate and energy for Axios. Andrew, thank you for sharing this with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the great-great-granddaughter of civil rights icon Ida B. Wells. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. As more Confederate statues are coming down across the U.S., more memorials to civil rights icons are going up. A monument to Ida B. Wells was unveiled a few weeks ago in Chicago, honoring the civil rights icon who was born into slavery in 1862 and went on to become a journalist, activist, and founder of the NAACP. I sat down with Wells' great-great-granddaughter, Michelle Duster, for an Axios event to talk about what it took to get the monument raised. It took more than 12 years to get it up, and a big piece of the puzzle was where to find the money. In 2018, we had been raising the money for about seven years, and I, I basically just decided, well, there's, we have to think outside of the box here, um, because there were a lot of restrictions on how we could raise the money. And so I just decided to do something different and go on social media and try to lift up the project to a national level versus you know, a local level. Um, and I started tweeting about the project and tagging people, and we got national support. I wonder how much you think conversations around Confederate statues and those being removed raised awareness and helped what you were trying to do. I think there were several factors that happened around the same time. Um, obviously, you know, the, the, the controversies regarding Confederate statues. There also was a person in the White House who was very sort of hostile towards journalists in general. And then there was the centennial of the 19th Amendment in 2020. There were several factors that all converged around the same time that I think made her first story more relevant and more interesting. And people were really kind of studying her the Chicago Monument is actually called the Light of Truth based on those that famous quote of hers. Are those her words that also resonate the most with you? That definitely is one of them. The quote is, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. And I mean, I think it, there, it's true. I mean, you have to tell the truth in order to make change. You have to admit that there's a problem before you can solve it. And she was using journalism as a way to shed light on the truth. And she was using the truth as a weapon. She truly believed that the, the truth would lead to justice. Michelle Duster, a great-great-granddaughter of civil rights icon Ida B. Wells, and most recently the author of Ida B. the Queen. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Nyla. You can hear my entire Axios events conversation with her by going to axios.com, and I'll tweet out the link to it as well. Earlier this week was the 31st anniversary of the passage of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. We asked you at the beginning of the week how ADA has affected your life. Here's what we heard from two listeners, Aaron in Minneapolis and Malik in Seattle, who kindly sent us their thoughts via the community app. While it has had a great but imperfect effect on making public accommodations more physically accessible, 
those of us with neurological disabilities still face significant discrimination and barriers accessing basic community services. On the autism spectrum, specifically the unemployment rate was in excess of 85% pre-pandemic. We die at an average age of 36, even though there's no medical reason autism should affect morbidity and mortality. So, I think the ADA, while undoubtedly landmark legislation, doesn't go anywhere near far enough. I'm a Folksheim student at University of Washington, and the ADA has impacted my life in giving me crucial accommodations for me to be at the same level as my peers while I attend school throughout the entire pandemic. I worry that it's going to fall short when we return to in-person classes in fall, and there's no sign of that changing. Thank you again, Aaron and Malik. You can always send me your thoughts on the show or any feedback by texting me like they did at 202-918-4893. All week, we've been hearing from Axios' Ina Freed, who's in Tokyo for the Olympics. She sent us her latest audio postcard after going to the women's three-on-three basketball finals, which is one of the new games this year, and she had some good news to share. The exciting thing was that the U.S. women's team won gold. And also, you know, it was just one of these really cool new sports to see. It's super fast-paced, very physical, surprisingly physical. I think you can get away with more in three-on-three basketball than you could in a traditional basketball game. Who knew? Thanks, Ina. You can follow her on Twitter at Ina Freed for her latest updates. That's it for us today. You can read your team at podcasts at axios.com. You can also always follow me on Twitter. My handle's Nyla Boodoo. For more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap, that I've been hosting all week. I'll be speaking with how to be anti-racist author Ibram X. Kendi. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.